Hey, travelers. Just stopping by to let you know that this episode that you are about to listen to is one of our older ones, and we were going through some growing pains at this time. But if you would like to start from where we consider our newest era of quality, I would go ahead and jump to episode 54, The American Bigfoot. Either way, enjoy, travelers. Today I have Wesley and Derek, both have been previous guests on the show. How are you guys doing? Good, good. Doing well. Topic is Missing 411. Basically, it's a set of books written by one David Pilates. He writes these books outlining the weird and the strange disappearances of people around the country, and they all kind of center around national forests. There's a huge thing going on right now about people disappearing in national forests under strange circumstances and how the government is going out of their way to hide that the people are disappearing. That's what bothered me the most. Yeah. Uh, David Pleides has kind of taken a step forward and stuck his neck out there to try to combat against what's going on right now, trying to bring all of this information into the limelight about people disappearing. A lot of strange things happening here, guys. David Pilates is a 20-year veteran police officer, or police detective. He has published two books on the topic of Bigfoot. Does that discredit him in any way, shape, or form for putting out these missing 411 books? He's also the co-founder of the North American Bigfoot Search. It is a Bigfoot research group. He published nine missing 411 books and created two missing 411 documentaries. The story goes like this. David Pilates one day was in a national forest where two park rangers approached him. He was researching a string of Sasquatch sightings. They came to him with an issue that they were having. They were concerned about the way that the national forest system was taking care of search and rescue missions or missing people's situations. They wanted to bring this to somebody who might be able to do something with it. They knew that he was a 20-year police detective veteran. They knew that he was into Bigfoot. Mr. Pleides went forth and tried to get some information from the national forest that he was in, unnamed ended up finding out that a lot of the employees at that national forest had the same concerns as these two park rangers. He wanted to talk with somebody about a list of missing people and find out what the circumstances were. He goes and he tries to get a list. Come to find out, National Park System does not keep a list of missing people at their parks, which is strange, right? Yeah, it's real strange. This is an agency that is backed by law enforcement, but they do not keep a list of missing people. I went and did my own little bit of research, and I was curious about this. Come to find out, that is a fact. They do not keep a list of missing people, but they do keep lists such as what big Hollywood productions were filmed on their national forest or animal attacks. Like I was able to find a list of bear attacks at Yosemite National Park, <laughs> you know? What the heck? Missing people just considered, well, not my problem anymore, I guess. You would think that they would cover that since thousands of people are going missing every year. Yeah. It gets stranger. Mr. Polites said, well, how much is it going to cost me to get this list? There are police reports of the missing people situations, but there's no list that just says these are the people that are missing. This is when they went missing. This is how they went missing. All they have is the reports that they type up after a situation. They came back to Mr. Polites saying that it was going to cost them roughly, I can't remember the exact number. I don't have it written down, but I know it was high. It was in the double digit thousands. Then... David Pilates kind of 
expanded his search into all the national parks in the United States and come to find out this wasn't just a local situation. This was at every national park in the United States. The parks themselves don't have a list, but there's also not a list anywhere else that's like not having to do with the National Park Service. You have to go to local law enforcement in order to get a list. But the thing is that local law enforcement doesn't have jurisdiction over these national forests because it's run by the Department of the Interior. It's not run by local law enforcement. It's public land ran by the federal government, essentially, and the local state level or county level law enforcement agencies have no jurisdiction on their land. Correct. That's what you're saying. Yep. That's crazy. Now they're brought in to help out, but they technically don't have jurisdiction there and they don't have to track that information. Although they do, you know, they have their own missing people reports and list that they compile. And if it happens around them, they're involved in it in any way, shape or form, they do do it. But no, Mm -hmm. the Department of the Interior does not have an active list of missing people in all of their national forests. Doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, right? (laughs) No. Where it gets even stranger is that when David Polides asked for a list of all of the national forest missing people and how much it would cost them, they came back with a number of $14 million or $1.4 million. Wow. That's a little, that's different. $1.4 million. <laughs> I mean, either way you put it, it's still a butt ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> One bit that I tried to do some research on today that I wasn't able to get to was that he ended up pulling out the Freedom of Information Act and asking for this stuff. Makes sense. And he was denied. What was he filing for exactly? Sorry. He was filing for the list of missing people in the National Forest System. There's multiple occasions where the FBI denied him any sort of information. It's interesting. They came back and said, we can't provide you this information. Move along. It's none of your business is what they said. That's pretty much exactly what they said. That's the exact quote was, you will never get this information on the case. Now, it's none of your business. some of that information is part of an active case. I can see them telling them, frig off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> some of these cases are between 50 and 100 years old. Yeah. That's... Under the Freedom of Information Act, there's a clause that says that if you're a published author, you can bypass the rejection and still get your information. They came back and said, no you're not going to get this information because you're not in enough libraries. Nowhere in the Freedom of Information Act does it say anything about how many libraries you have to be in. It just says that you have to be a published author. At the time, he was a published author of two books. He's still being rejected under the Freedom of Information Act, even after publishing nine more additional books on missing 411. Seems like they're really trying to hide something here. They're purposely giving him the runaround. I mean, if... Anything is going to point to the government covering something up. I mean, it's themselves. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. If they really wanted this to be out, wouldn't they help him and try to get him to publish all these books? It would make sense. I don't think they want it out, bud. I'm saying if they wanted it out, they would not be giving him the runaround like this. They wouldn't tell him, you're not going to get this information. So now that we got the whole beginning of the missing 411 and why it was built and all that stuff, right? We got that out of the way. Let's move on to a little bit about David Polites himself. I gave you guys a bunch of information about him. He's a 20-year veteran police detective, was heavily into looking for Bigfoot. There are claims out there that this man is pushing these missing 411 agendas to push the agenda on Bigfoot. 
people are claiming that he is trying to convince the public that a Sasquatch is behind all of these missing people. And that's why he's trying to get it out. Those same people that claim this are the same people that will admit that when they are reading these books, not once does David Pilates come out and say anything about Sasquatch. And they're saying this as a, a negative thing against him? Yes, because he's trying to sell the books. Because in my eyes, either way, it's bringing awareness to these missing persons cases, right? Whether he thinks it's something related to Sasquatch or not, which you're saying he hasn't even brought up Sasquatch. How can any more awareness being brought to it be a bad thing? I don't see how it could be a bad thing. We don't know what it is because a lot of them are unsolved. Either way, like say, oh, this person went missing in this national park, right? And you're trying to say, oh, I think it was Sasquatch. Maybe people come out of the woodwork, look for a Sasquatch, quote unquote. It, while they're out there looking for Sasquatch, maybe they find this person's remains. The more people you have out there looking, whether they're looking for missing person or looking for Sasquatch, the better. I mean, if someone is looking for Sasquatch and they find the remains or, I don't know, a jacket or backpack from someone and they find that it was uh, this person's property or whatever, they're not going to be like, oh, uh, it's not Sasquatch related. So let's just uh, keep looking for Sasquatch. That's just the way I look at it. There's those people that say that he's just out there to make a buck. You know, he's trying to push the Sasquatch agenda. Nevertheless, and Derek, I think this is where you're going to come in quite a bit here, man, is the strange aspect of some of these missing person cases. Some of these are just completely out of left field, and there's zero explanation for how any of this makes any sense. Yes, there's no explanation for a lot of these at all. It blows my mind. David Plyde's kind of focuses on those cases where it's like, how can any of this actually happen? He goes, he prides his work on removing any cases where suicide is a clear cause. Animal attacks are a clear cause. Tries to remove the idea of people floating through the woods and killing people. And although a lot of these cases can be easily thought about being solved in a way that involves an animal or another human being, and most of them are still extremely intriguing and leave more questions than answered by the time you're done reading them. Let's talk about the case of Dennis Martin. I've seen tons of cases. I've watched the one free documentary that's on YouTube about the couple stories of missing kids. This one was not part of that. And I found this extremely intriguing. And I kind of want to get everyone's thoughts and ideas about this particular case. On June 14th, 1969, a little boy by the name of Dennis Martin and his father went to go camping in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Dennis was with his dad, his brother, and his grandfather. A man approaches Dennis's father, Mr. Martin, and asks if Dennis and his brother can play with his children. Dennis's father agrees, and the kids go off and start playing hide-and-go-seek. Dennis's father and the man who approached him, they strike up a conversation. The whole time, Mr. Martin is watching his son, Dennis, and he notices that his son, Dennis, hides behind a bush and never comes back out. Kids are playing hide-and-go-seek. They're constantly rotating in and out of their hiding places, but he never sees Dennis come out. He goes up to the bush where Dennis was at, looks behind it and inside of it, and doesn't see Dennis. He then takes off in a straight run down the Appalachian Trail, trying to find his son, yelling his name. In the report, it says that he jogged for about two miles before he turned back and wanted more help from the park ranger station. At the same time, about 2,000 feet away, another family called the Keys 
K-E-Y, Keys, were traveling up a creek close to where the Martin family was camping, and they were trying to hike to find wildlife. They were specifically looking for bears. During their hike, they heard this loud, guttural cry, and the kid of the family pointed out to his parents saying, hey, look at that bear that's running across the field up on the hill. The dad says, that's not a bear. That looks more like a man. That's all you hear about him from that day. But the next day, that same family, the Keys, wake up in their home and they see in the local newspaper about the missing boy. And the father contacts the number that's connected with the article on the newspaper and gets in touch with a FBI agent. He says, I have some information that might be critical for this case. Can I meet you in the park and I can take you to where I saw this man? The FBI agent goes, no, you cannot, but I will meet you outside of the park. Mr. Key meets with the FBI agent and a park ranger from the park. So it's all three of them. They meet and they have a conversation. Mr. Key leaves the conversation not feeling right about what was going on. So he contacts a local news station. And he has a conversation with channel, whatever it is. I can't bring it. I I didn't write it down about what he saw and about the sketchy situation involving the FBI agent and the park ranger. So this is day two, four days after the disappearance of Dennis Martin, a U.S. Army special ops group flies in on a couple of Hueys onto National Park land. And this is well documented too. The biggest name that they can put out is a man by the name of Dwight McCarter, who was the head tracker at the time in the Great Smoky National Park. As the helicopters landed, the army personnel got out of the helicopters and immediately escorted park rangers and anybody associated with the National Forest System off the land. They refused escorts by the park rangers and set up their own telecommunication network. Interesting. There's some big questions there, right? What were they doing there and what were they looking for? You know, that's crazy. Last episode, we talked about how I told you I was born in West Virginia. I didn't really grow up there, but I did spend my summers there. And during my summers there, there's a lot of unexplored countryside out there, right? Thousands of miles of woods. There's been multiple times where there's been like military units out there. They end up closing off a lot of sections of the forest and whatnot. And it's crazy that like you talk about that because that's basically still happening. There's still groups out there operating, doing who knows what, no idea. Um, I know the Boy Scouts of America bought a huge chunk of property out there and basically gated it all off. There's been multiple times where we've seen like military helicopters and whatnot flying in and out of that property when I was up there. So that's crazy. It really makes you wonder what the hell is uh, going on out there. And I mean, it gets a little weirder too. Well, on our way down the rabbit hole. Right. So David Polides, now we're talking more current sometime in the 2000s, 2010s, interviews Mr. Martin, the father of Dennis, at their home. And they're still at the same home that they were in before. He's there to gather information on missing 411. He pulls Mr. Martin off onto the front porch because Mr. Martin has an agreement with Mrs. Martin not to have this discussion because it upsets the family. Of course. Some of the information that Mr. Martin gives them is a little shocking. It was originally agreed upon by Mr. Martin and the National Park Service who were assisting the search and rescue for his son that Mr. Martin would be included on any and all information regarding his son and the case. Well, it comes out that Mr. Martin did not know of Mr. Keyes and his family and their sighting of a man running across the field. 
months later when everything settled down and he was able to find out that there was an entire news segment about his son and this family that he had no idea existed, he was furious. He was even escorted off of the national park land by army personnel and was forced to forfeit the opportunity to look for his son. Pilates finds out from Mr. Martin that the family who saw the man in the woods saw that he was carrying a child over his shoulder. They talk about the 12 other disappearance cases that David Pilates brought up to Mr. Martin. Mr. Martin said, yes, I'm well aware. Mr. Martin added to that conversation that, did you know that every single one of them has the exact same FBI agent tied to them? And it was the same FBI agent who ended up answering the keys phone call and having that personal one-on-one with him. Definitely suspect. Suspect, right? But, <laughs> but check this out. That same FBI agent ended up committing suicide. Of course. Of course, right? We're going to take a step back because David Pilates, after talking with Mr. Martin, then went to go talk to Dwight McCarter. Now, if you remember earlier in the story, Dwight McCarter was the lead tracker for the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. He had a little bit more information to add to the army coming in. He said that they were clearly Green Berets. And after Mr. Pilates asked Carter what he believed happened to Dennis Martin at the time, Mr. McCarter said that he believes that Dennis was abducted. That's pretty much all that I have. Okay, that's the strangeness. But I have some questions. And I'm hoping that we can kind of talk about them a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. So I want to highlight some of the strangest things that I found about the case. One, where's the record of the disappearance in the national park? There is a record, but again, it's in those records, those statements that officers have to write up. But there is zero record in any national forest database of the key family and their claims and their sighting. So that does not exist in anywhere in federal government. Which doesn't make any sense Right. You know, on its own. But there is written and video proof by the newspaper and by the local news station that Mr. Key went on and discussed this information. So there is proof that he was involved in the case, or at least a person that was giving up some information about the case. Mm-hmm. When Mr. Polites tried to exercise the Freedom of Information Act specifically for this case, he was rejected multiple times and has never gotten any information from the federal government involving any information about this case. Now, the things that I really find interesting is the son of the Key family said that he saw a bear. Now, how do you misinterpret a bear for a man running on two legs. Now, I know we talked about David Pilates and not pushing the Bigfoot agenda in his missing 401 cases, but Mm -hmm. how does a boy see something and say, that's a bear, and then someone else says, no, that's a man? Obviously, there's got to be hair on it. Now, there is some sort of answer for this. Any of you guys ever heard of the Tennessee wild man? Mm -hmm. In this case, I have. Yeah, so apparently there's a group of people that live in the deep woods of Tennessee in the Smoky Mountains that run around with furs of dead animals wrapped around them, and they live like feral humans. There is documented attacks by these people on park rangers and guests visiting the Smoky Mountain National Forest, and that's extremely weird. (laughs) And they mentioned that the Park Service has not been able to control them either. Yeah. Why is the FBI being brought in? 
I think the FBI only gets involved in missing person cases if like they're kidnapping or something like that. If there's foul play involved, right? Mm-hmm. I, if a cougar comes by, and I don't think the FBI gets involved in that. That that makes that makes sense. Well, this is this is federal land. This is their mm-hmm. jurisdiction. That's not necessarily the FBI's jurisdiction. Yeah. That's the Department of the Interior. Every every case I read, it's always FBI, FBI, FBI. So unless they're trying to push them out and take over so they can hide the stuff going on, I don't know. They're always there. That's what's strange about most of this is Derek's right. A lot of this stuff has to deal with the FBI being involved. And this isn't necessarily part of their everyday job. Is this a men in black situation? Dude, oh my God. Oh my God. I need to talk about this. <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up. My last question is, of course, why is the military involved in this case? Not just this case either. It's not just this case. I said a few cases Green Berets have surprisingly shown up to join or take over the searches. Happened in 1971 in New York when an eight-year-old boy vanished while walking back to the lodge to change his clothes. I've also heard about the Navy SEALs getting involved in some of these too on the West Coast. The FBI getting involved, I mean, I can somewhat understand it. If the father finds that his son's missing, right? And he literally just saw him five minutes ago, hide behind a bush and didn't see him move from there. And then all of a sudden he's gone and, you know, he spends a couple hours searching for him. He's fairly certain that foul play in some way, shape or form is involved that I can see the FBI getting involved. I'm not sure what the threshold is for them to get involved. You know, like we said, it's federal property, federal jurisdiction. So maybe there is procedure for them to get involved on a regular basis, but it is kind of suspicious that you know they got involved pretty much right away then there's military special forces coming in but you know to play devil's advocate maybe they brought them in because maybe the those special forces teams they train in that area maybe so maybe they know it better than most people they're doing a horrible job because none of those people were found yeah i mean (laughs) uh i mean that is an excellent point that they haven't been found so if they're not there to help then what are they doing there you know to interrupt the search and cause them not to find it. There's literal tons of times where, I won't say times, but uh, other events or things happening where the government has done some really shady stuff, try to cover their tracks and whatnot. If obviously they're interfering with the investigation of this missing kid, obviously not telling the father pertinent information that is related directly to his son's missing case, what are they doing? It don't make no sense. Why they would leave out, oh, this this other family saw some man carrying uh, something on his shoulder that was wearing a red shirt, which was what his son was wearing that day. That's a huge piece of evidence towards like what could have possibly happened to him. Yeah. But the government has done a lot of shady stuff and they have shown in multiple previous incidences. I mean, they've done all kinds of shady stuff and shown they have no regard for uh, people's lives and whatnot. So you can see them not caring whatsoever. I could understand the FBI thing if the FBI was coming in to disqualify the fact that there was foul play. But you brought up a good point. Why are they getting involved so quickly? Isn't the FBI normally called upon to act? I mean, how quickly did they get involved? I think they said it was the next day. That's like crazy. So they get a call that some kid is lost in a national park, right? Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that they would be like, why isn't the National Park Service handling this? Why isn't the park rangers out there helping look for this kid? Like, it's a kid. It's six years old, right? How far could he have gotten? Like you said, initially, when the father went running down that trail looking for his son, he ran roughly two miles. A six-year-old kid isn't going to make it two miles. There's no way. 
then all of a sudden the FBI gets wind of it or they get notified or whatever, and then they're there next day. That is fairly suspicious when there is no concrete evidence that foul play is involved. I'm itching over here. I need to talk. Dude, about I, I see it. <laughs> Go ahead. You got give, give us some input. Let me tell you how this all points to the government. Go ahead. You mentioned Men in Black earlier. I'm point to why I believe that this might be a thing. Come on, man. I can find it. Hold on. Okay. Here, here, okay. <laughs> could probably be a whole episode Chil- on its own. Children found alive won't talk about their experience or say they don't remember what happened to them. Doesn't matter the age. So I understand a two year old or younger not really understanding how to put in words what they saw or experienced because they're not really fluent in English or whatever language they're speaking. So I understand that that is a thing. But the fact that they won't talk about it or they don't remember seems like some men in black flash. You don't remember what's going on anymore thing. They also have found 98% of the cases they found with a fever and appear to be really traumatized, but cannot talk about what happened. Any child that's under the age of 10 or even 12, I would imagine if they experience a traumatic event, I would find it very uh, incredible if they were able to describe what happened to them in detail. 62% of cases where the child was able to speak, the FBI did not mention that in their reports of what they said. Well, that in itself is a uh, very suspect. <laughs> exactly. Also, what kind of puts me on the suspect of not really being an animal, in mm-hmm. all of the cases where the child is not found, the parents say the child was right behind them or within a few feet when they disappeared. If an animal is going to take your child, you're going to hear crinkling of leaves. You're going to hear sticks, a roar, movement. How does well, a child just get snatched? Maybe, maybe. I mean, you got you also got to think about a lot of the predators that live in these forests and whatnot. Their skills and abilities have been honed over hundreds of years of evolution and whatnot, right? Like they wouldn't be very good predators if you heard them coming. Uh, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate there. But I mean, at the same time, you would expect the kid to like, scream out or yell out if they got grabbed by an animal right if it wasn't an animal if it was some person or uh maybe not a person but like they saw this child just thought it was a bear but then their parent thought it said it no that's a man maybe they're uh smart enough to cover their mouth or whatever you know keep them from yelling out alerting anyone nearby 95 percent of cases bad weather follows the disappearance washing out footprints and other all other clues Mm-hmm. making it impossible to carry out searches until weather clears 98 to 99 percent of cases tracking dogs are unable to find a scent or simply refuse to track it either they're planning they're like oh it's gonna rain real bad and there's gonna be a storm or snow tonight or tomorrow let's go out okay. there take these people and then they're not gonna be able to find the footprints of us or the scent the dogs are not gonna be able to track the scent because the that's saying that it's a human being taking the person though, like someone who like planned this ahead of time, right? That also, if we take into account the other family that saw this bear running up on two legs, what if it was something like the wild man or whatever, right? A lot of animals are able to sense when weather is incoming or whatever, or maybe it's just complete coincidence. Uh, who knows? But I mean, ninety-eight percent, ninety-five. Sorry. I mean, look, looking on Wikipedia, it says that. You know, when that happened, they got three inches of rain, which is a ton. That's way more than enough to wash away anything scent or footprints and whatnot. Like I I do environmental inspections for the local gas and electric company now that I'm out of the military. And I go out after 
you know, it rains so much to do these inspections. And I can tell you that it, it doesn't take that much to really mess things up. That's a, that's a ton of rain. 95% having the weather after the incident is, that's pretty high. But I mean, these are national forests that you're talking about. Extreme weather is kind of built into the nature of these places. I know, especially in the Smoky Mountains, it's wet all the time. I personally have been mm-hmm. camping in Cherokee, North Carolina, part of the, the Smoky Mountains. And I mean, I don't think we had a dry day there in the week that we were there. And I've driven through there a couple of times in my adventures. And again, I don't think I've ever been there when it's dry. It's super wet in the morning because the fog comes in. I think they have like mm-hmm. a daily shower all the time. Three inches is a lot. That is. And it's probably a lot for up there, too. But I mean, if that's probably normal for that area, it might be, you know, another thing that's kind of really neat about the Smoky Mountains, or at least the area that I was in in Cherokee, is that the hills there, I mean, it's not just a gradual hill, it is a sheer cliff and you have trees that are coming out of this damn near 90 degree angle, just Mm -hmm. going straight up. I think landslides has got to be a popular thing there. A lot of rain has to be associated with that. Now... One thing that Derek did bring up that I've seen a lot as a part of these cases is the fact that search dogs are unwilling to go into certain locations. There was one story on the documentary that's free on YouTube where a little boy, his clothing was found up on a mount or on a hill uh, a year later. Well, Jared. Jared. Yeah. Yeah. I have his story right here. All right. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. This is a good uh, segue into that story. A year later couple of hikers actually found a shoe and his clothing and a piece of his skull cap right is that the right story three years later three years later his, he would have been six years old okay so three years later a couple of hikers went up on top of a hill that search dogs refused to go up they alerted the dogs wouldn't go the dogs wouldn't go they, they claim a person went up there a dozen times didn't see anything and then three years later the body shows up there's multiple stories where that happens where they just appear That is a very normal thing with these missing 401 cases. What's really strange about it is that it all happens at National Forest. It doesn't happen anywhere else. This is extremely strange that the hubs just happen to be in National Forest. But anyways, he ended up being found. Derek, you want to go ahead and bring us in into Jared's story a little bit? Yeah. So uh, Jared, three years old when he went missing, he had gone the forest with his mom and her friend, I guess. And he was running around being a little three-year-old, hitting sticks around. He went missing. And instead of going to look right away, they ran back to the dad, which, I, I mean, I kind of understand, but you kind of, you should have someone run around still. Is this the one where the dad was in his house, like 15 miles away? Yeah, he did like 110 over there. He was, yeah. Because they, they own the store, so he was like kind of laying on the couch. What kind of got me to this one, so I wrote down pissed off next to it, you know. When they found the two hikers found him up on a ridge where he could not get to himself. That was a very shocking part of that story. Now they showed pictures in the documentary of that cliff and there's no way a three-year-old's getting up there by themselves. Absolutely not. And then their like final verdict was that they said the like a mountain lion got to him. And even the dad said it best is his clothes were intact. The mountain lion's going to go for the center stomach area, the most meat. I mean, they're going to tear it apart. His jacket was fully intact. His shoes were pristine white. So they didn't show as if they've been out there for three years. His clothes didn't show they've been out for three years. And the shoes didn't show any drag marks. Yeah, there was no scuffs at all. He was obviously carried to where he ended up. I think he was carried somewhere and then put back. The pants were found inside out. 
they had like bits and pieces ripped off of them, but they determined that it was birds because it was in the nests everywhere. I mean, possibly. That I can understand. But everything was intact. How did they end up inside out? Something took his clothes off. The shoes were clean, right? There's no scuff marks. You think if, if somebody's getting dragged. There's no wear and tear, no weather, decay of anything. The people who found the shoe said that it was like the shoe was put there that day. Uh, and this is three years later. You know, you'd think that, that this thing would be moldy and gross and oh, absolutely weather-worn, just disgusting. Moisture and whatnot. Yeah, and then they find the pants. The, the pants are, are inside out. If a mountain lion, which I think is a, a big culprit in a lot of these cases, but if a, a mountain lion had attacked a three-year-old, the first thing that they're going to attack is the back of the neck. That's just kind of where cats go. They go to the back of the neck and they suffocate you, you die, and then they take you up a tree or somewhere safe where they can safely eat you. Feed, yeah. <laughs> so they showed his jacket and it had absolutely no damage to it. There was nothing to the collar area. There was nothing. No blood, no hair, no DNA of any kind. Nothing. It was like this kid was stripped naked and his clothes were sort of preserved. Pants were in bad shape. But for the most part, like his jacket wasn't in terrible shape. His shoes were in fantastic shape and he was just gone and found three years later. The one thing that I tried to find, which I really wish was documented, was I want to know the age of his body when they found him. They found the skull and bones. Like I want to know, was he was his body three years old or was his body six years old? Like when he died. Yeah. Like whether it was around the time he was three or because if he died at three, that means that he died right away. Yeah. But if he died at six. That's true. That's, that's a good question. I tried to find that. I, I searched everywhere. I tried to find it. couldn't find it. It would be obvious if he'd been alive for six months or a year past that point. You know, because when you're that young, you're growing so quick. I have three children, man. I can tell you the gap between three and six. It's a huge difference. I want to know if he aged, if he was aging, if, if he was somewhere else doing something with somebody else. Yeah, I couldn't find anything if he was three years old when he was found or six. And the weirdest part about the whole story is his father kept his skull. Well, I mean, come on, man. I mean, it's a little creepy. It's a little Let's creepy. be real. I understand that's the last thing you have of your boy, but it's his skull, man. I'm not here to judge anyone for their beliefs or what they like they want to do or how they want to uh, you know, memorialize whoever, right? Because, I mean, there's people that keep the ashes of their relatives or whatever, right? You know, keep them up on the mantle in their house. You know, that's one thing. Maybe that's their way of doing the same thing. That's all they have left. Cuts out of it to test the age. But... Yeah, they did a bunch of DNA testing on it to make sure it was the kid. They can find what age he is. I feel like that's so easy. I'm really curious about that, whether or not they found a three-year-old body or a six-year-old body. That's a good point, Derek. I dug deep, and I don't know if I, I couldn't find it. Um, I mean, they said that he would have been six years old, but they never said what, it, what, what his body was. His his name was Jared. Um, you could probably just look up Jared missing 411. It's on the documentary that's free on YouTube. Do you have the last name? Mm. Oh, shoot. No. It's piqued my interest enough that I want to look it up. Oh, uh, Jared Adadero? Yeah, that's the picture of him. Found this one site called uh, canammissing.com. That's actually the website that is run by David Pilates. Oh, is it? Yes, it is. That That's his website. Um, there's a whole section dedicated to Jared uh, in that case. Towards the end of it, there's uh, they talk about a few of the things that like don't make sense. 
Well, I mean, they talk about that kind of throughout, but um, there's a quite a few things and, and there's pictures, which was really helpful for me to like get an idea of uh, since, you know, I didn't really do any uh, research prior to this since I came in last minute pictures kind of showing where things were found. Yep. And it helps highlight how unusual the circumstances. And also one thing particular, so they found like a skull cap, right? And they also found a tooth, but mm-hmm. where they found the tooth, it's just like chilling on top of a log on top of pine needles, just like completely out and open. And like at first glance, looking at the picture, I didn't really think too much of it. He makes a point saying if that tooth has been sitting there for four winters, because it was almost four years since his disappearance to them finding his remains or what little remains there was left um, beside the clothing. Like that tooth shouldn't just be chilling there on top of the, all the pine needles and stuff. There should be pine needles on top of it or something, you know, it was really weird. And also all the clothes was found within, a, I think a 25 foot radius is what they said. There's a picture of one of the shoes where it was found. And it's kind of like in like a little, like an open crevice, but it's not like protected from the elements where it's at. Um, multiple people, you know, make comments about how vibrant the colors and whatnot were. You were talking about earlier, both of you, you know, it doesn't look like it's been sitting there for three, almost four years. It's an area where, you know, they got a full four seasons. If, if anything, the colors should have faded. They also made comment that uh, Jared never tied his shoes. The last place he was seen versus where they found his remains and clothing and whatnot. It's like something like 550 feet up the mountainside. Jared hated tying his shoes. Uh, like I imagine most three-year-olds would. His father's like, there's no way like his shoes would have stayed on his feet if he got dragged up this mountainside. It's damn near like a sheer cliff. The hikers that found him, they said that they had trouble getting up that far. And they're experienced hikers. The clothing, I think you talked about how it got sent off for testing and there was no blood, no mountain lion hairs or anything found on it. But there was some other type of hair found around the collar of his sweater. The lab never identified it. They said, don't worry about it, which was strange in itself. Because if you're trying to figure out what happened to this, uh, this child... Of course you want to know what it is. Okay, you didn't find mountain lion hairs, but what are those hairs? What are they from? There's just a lot of inconsistencies. One thing he didn't bring up was in the beginning, Jared's father was trying to, like, he wanted to see where the last place anyone saw his son. He wanted to see that spot. And the search and rescue and sheriff's office told him that they would arrest him if he stepped foot on the trail. See, I didn't know that. I didn't see that either. That That's on the site that, what you said, David Pol- Pelosi or Pilates. Uh, Pilates. So on the <laughs> site, they talk about it. And also um, another th- interesting fact. So they had an article of clothing that was supposedly Jared's, right? That they were using to give the scent dogs like Jared's scent so they could help find them. Turns out that they weren't even using a piece of clothing that was Jared's. It was his father's shorts. And he actually brought that up. So I guess one of the head the, the or the head uh, search and rescue guy that was leading the whole thing came in and was like, oh, I'm here to grab this bag that has an article of his clothing so we can give the scent to the dogs. And his father saw what they were using. He's like, those aren't his. That's Those are my shorts. And he was just like obviously upset about it. Like, mm-hmm. is this what you've been using this entire time? You know, the head SAR guy was like, yeah. And he's like, how could you not realize this is a grown man's pair of shorts? Did you see these are 38 size waist? Come on. <laughs> you know, like Jared is a three-year-old. He's incredibly small child, you know, <laughs> and then he, they're using these shorts. The head SAR guy threatened to call off the whole search right then and there. 
because he said, why are you using my shorts? You know, you're not even giving the dogs the right scent. It's almost like they didn't want the dogs to find them. Yeah. So there was like a lot of like inconsistencies throughout the whole process. When they found his remains and whatnot, it was as if they were placed there to be found. That's not where they were. Where's the rest of his body? You said it was just his skull cap? Where's the rest of his skull? Yeah, they never found any of his other teeth, never found his jawbone or any of his other remains. Um, they never found his t-shirt or his underwear. And at one point, I guess when they gave the press conference that they found his remains, the sheriff's office had everything up on a board, like his clothing and whatnot that was found. And someone had turned the pants right side out, right? And his father was like, why would you do that? That's not how they were found. And the sheriff's office like, was basically giving him crap about it, like trying to play it off like, oh, no, like we didn't know that. And he's like, what do you mean you didn't know that? Like it, that was a very odd thing to find first place. What do you mean you don't, you didn't know about that? Like it was very odd, but why they would try to like cover it up or threaten to arrest him, you know, that was extremely odd. And uh, they actually brought up, they tried to call the FBI to get them involved. And the FBI said that there was no evidence of foul play taking place. So they weren't going to come. They just outright refused to come out. Right. But it turns out that a dozen previous cases that are like basically carbon copies of this, where a little child has disappeared, even though there was no evidence of foul play, the FBI still sent out like an agent or two just to be there just in case maybe evidence was found that there was. And so they're like up to speed to a degree uh, at that point, they need to bring in more people. But th the fact that they just outright refused to even send one person out was odd in itself. So did they say where Jared's story took place? In the video, I didn't take note. Yeah, Dennis Martin took place in the Smoky Mountains. I'm curious as to where Jared took place. Colorado, I want to say. Well, they, I mean, if you're in the mountains, Colorado, you're dealing with a lot of snow. Well, that day there wasn't any snow. I think it, it might've been like the end of summer, fall time. Let me see. It was on the big South trail adjacent to the Poudre river in Northern Colorado. And they lived there. Yeah. So the resort that Derek was telling us about earlier or the store or whatever, like Jared's father owned that resort and store and the group that took his uh, son and daughter out on this hike was like a Christian group. That's why he let uh, his children go along because he knew the members of the group and they were staying at his, his resort. Did you see that he also talked, Jared talked to two fishermen and they noticed that he was lost? Yeah, that's a strange thing. The sheriff's office never told his father about that. He heard about that through the radio like days later. And then when he went to the sheriff's office to ask him like, what the heck is going on? They gave him more crap about it. Like, So I, I think two things are involved here. I think it's more of a incompetent adult figure losing track of the child. He's by himself at the time that he's talking to the fisherman. He asked the fisherman, are there bears around here? Hold on, because I have three children, and I can tell you right now that it is not always the easiest to keep track of your children. You turn your head. Based on the story, they weren't paying attention to him at all. No, I mean, I get that. The group that went to this trail, right, they ended up splitting into two. Some were slower, so they were behind, and then there was a faster group. There's confusion between which group was Jared with that we don't know. But when Jared talked to the fishermen, the fishermen said that they could see one and half of the group, like 50 to 80 feet down the trail. So they just figured, you know, oh, this kid's just being a kid and just running ahead because that's what kids tend to do. Yeah, I don't know how they know this, but they said that he wandered off 100 feet before they noticed. 
on this page talking about it, I guess one of the head people of the group said that it had been almost an hour when they realized that they had, or they, when they realized that he wasn't there, that they were like, oh, we haven't seen him for like almost an hour. I think that's what they said in the documentary too. Yeah. And he was the youngest one in the group. I think you would want to keep a better eye on him. Uh, I think they said that the group, there was 11 of them. I might not be hundred percent correct on that. Yeah, it's 11 kids, but I don't know how many adults there was. If you see one running way ahead, I feel like you'd be able to see that. What I'm thinking is because of the condition of his clothing, his shoes, the tooth and everything, this sounds like an abduction. Something where somebody grabbed this child. I would hate to even think about what they did with that child for as long as they possibly did. If somebody had taken this child and held on to him for gosh, years and brought back his clothing and his body and laid it out top of that ridge. That just kind of sounds like the easy way to answer that. Now, being all the way up on top of that ridge, which is an extremely difficult hike, whoever had taken the child had to have been a, a pretty seasoned hiker. Let's talk about other things that it could have been. At three years old, how much does an average three-year-old weigh? It's from the pictures. It looks like he maybe weighs 40, 50 pounds soaking wet. 40 pounds, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the average weight of a three-year-old in the United States is 31 and a half pounds. I know that some bigger birds, such as eagles, can carry up to 20-something pounds. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it was a mountain lion, a mountain lion would have no problem carrying that much weight in its mouth. Like, mountain lions are massive, and they are just like pure muscle, purpose-built <laughs> for grabbing whatever their prey and climbing up a tree or a mountainside with them trying to answer all the questions with the no drag marks and all the other fun stuff right so like let's say a bird was able to grab them and i'm only saying this because during one of the other cases highlighted in the missing 401 documentary that you can watch on youtube it was theorized that a bird had snatched up a child it made good sense i think the child was two in that case i've heard of that happening i haven't read anything specifically on it but i have heard of that happening and you would think that if there are some larger raptor type birds, like an eagle or such, Colorado would be a place where you can find that. At PAX, we saw bald eagles every now and then. Eagles are massive. Yeah. Huge. I'm curious as to what a full-size eagle can actually carry. I mean, I heard 20 pounds on the documentary. I mean, on the topic of what could have happened to him in this page, talking about David Pilati, talking to uh, Jared's dad, Alan, about what, what happened because his dad initially thought maybe he was abducted because they didn't find him right away. Right. Mm -hmm. Like how far could this three-year-old have gotten by himself? The sheriff's office immediately was like, Oh, there's no way it's an abduction. There's only one way in and out of this Valley and it's through this trailhead that they're on. Right. But then Alan found out later on on his own that there is like three or four different ways in and out of this Valley, whether the sheriff's office was incompetent or, just blatantly lied to him it's hard to say i don't know it, it's pretty incredible because his dad also talked to multiple like mountain lion experts right because the condition that they found his clothes in and whatnot there was no blood on them they're pretty much intact except for the sweatpants which was easy to explain as birds taking material for nests and whatnot yeah the materials were all over nests yeah if a mountain lion would have attacked them I mean, we, we talked about earlier, it would have went for his stomach or his neck, right? But there is no tatters or like it, nothing was torn there to indicate that that happened. Also, they said that if a mountain lion would have taken him, uh, it wouldn't have taken him very far. And, you know, once 
he was noticed missing people searching for him, like would have been yelling for him, causing a little bit of commotion that probably would have scared the mountain lion off initially. Right. And they said that mountain lions tend to like bury their prey or whatever, and then like leave if they can, and then come back for it later. Also put them up in trees too. Yeah. Kid could have been right off trail and they would have never seen him. That's a possibility. They wouldn't have smelled them either with the dad's pants. Yeah, I mean, an initial search in the first and second day, if you've ever been out like hiking on trails or out in the the woods or mountains like this and someone says, oh, you see that? And you're like looking like, what are you talking about? I don't see. It's so hard to spot stuff, even if it's it's a bright fluorescent color. There's a whole subreddit uh, devoted to it called uh, uh, Find the Sniper or whatever. And it's just like, oh, do you see this bird or do you see this animal or do you see this person? In some cases, they're not even wearing camouflage of any type and you can't see them, you know, unless someone points exactly where they're at. We talked about kind of like the stuff that makes sense in the normal world, right? So let's talk about Bigfoot. David Plyde is this big Bigfoot guy and a lot of people claim that he's just pushing his Bigfoot agenda. You guys think that a Bigfoot could have done something like this? Uh, Sure. I mean, like I was saying earlier, uh, a lot of these animals are like, purpose built through hundreds of years thousands of years of evolution right only the strongest survive or the most capable ones that have adapted to how they live and hunt and whatnot who's to say a sasquatch hasn't gone through i mean obviously it would have gone through the same process what is it the the keys is that are they the ones that said about the bear slash man the kid that was during the previous story that's not this one i know but that would very well go along with the 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 Bigfoot doing all the abductions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I've heard of uh, any stories of uh, Bigfoot abducting anyone. I've heard of stories of Bigfoot attacking, I guess, when they feel threatened. Trying not to bring up other topics here. Too off topic. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's not necessarily off topic because it fits within the realm of what we're talking about, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to try to find it. There is a famous case of a Sasquatch abduction where a Sasquatch took a man. I'm going to try to find the actual case i think i know what you're talking about very old and the only reason why the man escaped the family of sasquatches is because the sasquatch took the man's dip like the the the, the oh, tin of and he dip. got sick he got sick yeah. from it, right yeah i i remember that he was eating the dip and he got sick and he was able to make his way out i'll i'll find it the story i read it was more than just one it was like almost like a little family of it them, was right? It was a mother, a father, and two children. The the one got sick, and the others were tending to him, and that was his chance to slip away. Yep, wild story. That's a it's an old one, but it's that's a wild one. Did he track his way out of there to bring people back to it? Oh man, I don't remember. You know what? I have it. In my... I feel like I I read that in a book, like an old book I had, which was like a, what originally got me into all this stuff. It was some book that had like stuff about Bigfoot. Uh, the Bermuda Triangle mm-hmm. and like other crazy stuff like that. And that's what initially got me into all this stuff. <laughs> what originally got me into it is just seeing a damn Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, what episode is that? That was uh, to Bigfoot or not to Bigfoot. Thanks for the plug, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but let's think about all the evidence from Jared's case. He's got perfectly clean shoes. He's got inside out pants. He's up on top of a cliff that would be hard for any normal human to to climb. It is, I, I wouldn't say well-documented, but it's well thought of that Sasquatch have absolutely no problem climbing up steep terrain. They can easily carry a three-year-old child so the shoes wouldn't get messed up. The shoes would still be on his feet. 
let's say that the Sasquatch even kept the child like in that story where the guy had the, the dip tin and held on to him for a little while until he passed away. And where they laid his body was the closest point to where they had abducted him. I feel like the woo-woo side of me right now is thinking that if this isn't a man doing this, the next thing that makes the most sense is this mythological creature called Bigfoot, who is just mm -hmm. an oversized human with the same dexterity as us well one thing that i would say pushes against it being bigfoot is the fact that the clothing and the shoes and whatnot was found where it was found and basically in pristine condition besides the sweatpants right mm -hmm. why would a bigfoot care about that in the the bigfoot or not the bigfoot episode we talk a little bit about sasquatches being a bit more intelligent than you know a lot of people think that they could be they are a great ape and that, that comes with a little bit of intelligence. A lot of primates have this sort of ceremony, and it's different for all different kinds of primates, but they, they recognize when their own are dead. I mean, who's to say that if a Sasquatch had kidnapped a child and taken care of that child, that part of the ceremony of the death of that child isn't to bring the body back to where they found it, including all of its belongings. It, it may be a stretch for some people to think, but again, we don't know anything about these creatures. Yeah. Uh, the biggest evidence we need is that boy's age when he died. I agree. Uh, on one of the pages I found, there was a, a video of the father showing the skull, and he's kind of explaining why he still has it. Like we were talking about earlier, it does seem a little odd that he's just keeping the skull, but his explanation of it was like, it's the only thing he has what's left of him, right? Yeah. That was the only thing they found. They didn't find any the rest of his remains besides one tooth. So like watching that video, I was like, I understood, you know, I could, I could, you could clearly see his pain when he's talking about it and I can't judge him for keeping part of his son's skull because that's all he has left. You know, I'm not there in his shoes grieving the loss of his son. I mean, he would be in his mid twenties now. He would be 24, uh, at least at the time of that, uh, article. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I think that last article was 2014. I can understand why he kept it. We've been on Jared for quite a while. It's, it's an odd case. It is. It's extremely thought-provoking, and I, I think it definitely warrants some more investigation. Well, I think that this is an, a natural spot to end episode one for Missing 411. Right at the end of Jared's story, yeah. It works out pretty good, right? Mm -hmm. If you guys want to get together again next weekend, we can pick up on part two. Yeah. Next weekend? Yeah. What's wrong with next weekend? I have a whole story on Diane I want to talk about. <laughs> we can talk about Diane next weekend, bud. Don't you look up Diane. I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. So that's the end of part one. We're going to uh, reconvene in a little less than a week and we'll record part two. And we'll make this episode a two-part because we still got a lot left to go. I know Derek is over there wiggling, trying to get this Diane uh, story out. So we'll come back and we'll learn a little bit about Diane and a couple of other cases of missing 411. Yeah, six more stories. Six more stories. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Guys, I appreciate you guys coming on today, like always. It's always a pleasure, guys. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can do so on facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole. If you have a story to share with us or would like to be interviewed, you can contact us at infinite rabbit hole at gmail.com. Thank you again and have a great day.
I don't know if we could post this. <laughs> Why not? Let's talk about our people, man. We're about. I told you. I told you last night when I was uh, digging deep into this. There was a van outside. <laughs> they were watching me. My ca- the, the the light on my camera was on. I'm not even joking because I have I have a light right next to my camera right here. <laughs> so I was sitting here. I was like, Wait, I had a, we I saying had a, the FBI turned the light on? <laughs> my my agent. I was talking to him. I was like, "What's up, dude? Um, can you stop hiding this stuff, please?" Like, I was talking to him. Say, that's when you just say some crazy stuff. Why would yeah, my light like, oh, randomly turn it, on? It set off like. Well, I'm I mean, telling you, I was well, DMing him because if I'm watching, I'm, I got deep. <laughs> I got so deep into this shit. I turn that light, the little white light right here, turned on. I was joking about the van. I was joking about the van, but my light turned on, so my camera turned on. Someone was watching my so, camera. I mean, the government has been caught doing that in the past, but that doesn't mean that it's that's necessarily it. the government every single time because there are I'm taping my camera. Who, uh, can't tape your camera, guy. We need it. <laughs> we don't need this. We're not posting visuals. You're right. Yeah, you, could, you, right. you might be able to put all that on the bloopers end. All right, so... <laughs> Can I Derek. talk about Diane, please? Either they have some weather controlling technology that we don't know about, or, or, dude, you're such a nut, bro. I love bro, it. I mean, <laughs> you put me so far down a I rabbit mean, hole. I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow your minds. I, I've um, heard, I've heard about reports of like the uh, the government having an ability to control weather. I mean, when I was six years old, my but, dad told me that smokestacks when they're putting out the smoke, he told me those are cloud makers. Can you and I looked like an. <laughs> Damn it. What? Jesus. Christ. Um, he t- I looked like an idiot in middle school when uh, I told everybody that I was a cloud maker. Uh, I was like, if you don't want it to rain, then stop making clouds. You know, I was stupid. Okay. I know. But yeah, what, what also kind of grabbed my attention is says, hold, 98... on, hold on. Hold on. Jeez, man. I need to talk about all this stuff. Okay. Yeah. I we'll, have, I have we'll four pages we'll of to... stuff. Okay, we need to conversate, man. Let's no. hold on. Hold on a second. Damn. This is going along with his stuff. There. All right, go ahead. Go. No, no, no. I'll mute myself. No. I'm done. Bye. You're a child. <laughs> you sent me down this rabbit hole and now you're trying to pull it away from me. I have goosebumps right now and I need to talk. Can you, dude, get off your pop filter. You look like an idiot. <laughs> what? You're, you're laying on your pop filter, guy. What are you? What are you doing? Over what there? the hell is a pop filter? That's the is thing you're laying on. on. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jeez. 